Our scripture reading this morning is 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. This is God's word. Two weeks ago, we affirmed that God has saved us so that we could be transformed and become like his son. And so we examined the different means that God has put at our disposal by which we can be transformed. That includes his word, prayer, mutual encouragement with fellow believers, and then also circumstances. Now that last one, we don't control the circumstances, he does but he perfectly tailors our circumstances in order for us to become more like his son. And so he handles that part, our response to circumstances we have control over. And so those are the ways in which God wants us to become like Jesus. Last week, we examined 26 specific qualities that God wants us to use for recognizing elders and pastors, they're really the same. There's no difference between those two, including our next senior pastor. So the handout you got from last week, you need to hang on to that because you'll need to use that at some point in the future when we're asking the question, God, is this your man? Because his man will evidence those 26 qualities. Those qualities represent God's specific growth targets for men. This week, we're going to consider a second group that plays a vital role in Jesus' church. And the key passage that Carrie read was 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13. And embedded in this passage are eight key qualities that we should look for in men who serve as deacons. Now, there was one verse in which she read something pertinent to women, and I'm going to save that for next week because we're going to talk about God's role for women in next Sunday's passage. So that particular verse we'll save for next time as well as something from Titus. It says, deacons likewise must be, in verse 8. And the word translated deacons, I'm going to give you a little bit of Greekology here, but uh, not overdo it, is the Greek word diakonos. And that word is translated three different ways in the New Testament. Uh, 19 times it's translated servant. Uh, Diakonos is a servant. It's translated minister seven times, and it's translated deacon three times. So recognize that diakonos is a word that can refer to a servant, it can refer to someone who is a minister, and it can refer to a deacon. They're all the same. So first thing we need to do to understand these eight qualifications is understand what is a diakonos, what does that look like? So what I wanna do 
is help you understand what that word diakonos means and how it's used. It's used of a common household servant. Uh, this is in John 2, verse 5, where this is the first recorded miracle of Jesus. And Jesus' mom says to the servants, his mother said to the servants, and that's the word diakonos, or it was diakonoi in this case, the plural, whatever he says to you, do it. So there's an instance in which this word diakonos is actually used for a common household servant. In fact, that's the core meaning of the word, is just a servant, someone who serves. Now, this can be applied to someone who is serving Jesus. For example, in 1 Corinthians 3.5, it says, Paul's saying this, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants, and that's our word, diakonos, servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. In other words, Paul says, I'm a servant. Apollos is a servant. Implied, we serve Jesus by serving you. Uh, here's another example of this being used of someone. This is Colossians 4, 7. It says, as to all my affairs, Tychicus, our beloved brother and faithful diakonos, servant, and fellow bondservant, that's a different word, sundulos, which means really uh, someone who's a common servant in the Lord, will bring you information. So in that instance, he's referring to Tychicus. Here's someone, we don't know much more about him other than what's in this verse, but he is someone who was a faithful servant that is known, who is known by the Colossians. Now, diakonos can be used of a woman, but, it's all, but when that happens, it's in the feminine form. So Greek inflects all of its words. You know, there's actually a whole bunch of endings that you would put on a Greek word to indicate whether it's for uh, masculine or feminine. And so in this passage, Romans 16:1, it says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant, and he uses the, the feminine form, uh, diakonon, of the church, which is at Sencria. So here, men, women, followers of Jesus, they can all be described as diakonos. We're all called to service. Uh, Matthew 20, verses 26 through 28, Jesus talking, and he's really responding to a little bit of an altercation between the disciples. They were kind of trying to figure out Who's number one around here? Who's going to be top dog, top tier? Who's going to be seated with Jesus on the right and the left? And Jesus straightens them out. And he says, Whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, diakonos. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave, doulos. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and by the way, that served is uh, the verb that matches it. It's the cognate verb, diakoneo. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. What Jesus is saying is normal is servant. In fact, that's who I am, servant. Now, service can take different forms. You know, you can have different types of service. In Acts 6, verses 1 through 6, it says, Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, 
a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. And the word serving there is one of these cognates uh, that is a word that relates to diakoneo, same root word, overlooked in the daily, quote, serving of food. So the 12 summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, it is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the, now you see the word ministry, that's one of our cognates again, service ministry of the word. And the statement found approval with the whole congregation. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And these they brought before the apostles. And after praying, they laid their hands on them. Did you catch the difference in that passage? The apostles needed to prioritize their service assignment. We're going to focus on the service or ministry of the word. But we need some others to focus on a ministry or service of tables so that we can fulfill our calling pertinent to the ministry of the word. So here you can see service can include serving tables. It can also include serving the word of God. Acts 6 doesn't use the title diakonos, but it's using cognates the diakoneo and so on, verbs that relate to that same word. And this group of individuals was recognized and then trusted with a particular service. And that assignment required that they be men of character, and that's why there were some qualifications that were listed. In one sense, deacons, servants, ministers can be used of anyone who is a servant of Christ. But there seems to be a group of official servants that Paul recognizes in, for example, the letter to Philippi. This is what it says at the beginning. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, the diakonos. Paul directs that a similar group be qualified and recognized, and that's what we're talking about in this passage, 1 Timothy. In other words, it ought to be true that all of us are servants. But there is a specific group of official servants who need to meet certain criteria that God wants to step up to certain responsibilities in his church. And so in the passage we looked at last week, it said, elders, therefore, must be. And now in verse 8 of this passage, it says, deacons, likewise. And the word must be is assumed, but the likewise is what supplies it. In other words, elders must be A, B, C, deacons, likewise, X, Y, Z, without the word must be actually showing there, but it's understood. So what we're going to discover is that there are eight characteristics of men who can function as official servants in his church, even though it ought to be true of all of us. 
And what we're going to see is that the men who meet these qualifications are actually demonstrating eight what I'll call service multipliers. These are qualities that make them profoundly effective as servants, and I'll explain that connection as we go along. But these are individuals whom we would recognize to serve as servants, official servants in our church. And so here are those eight qualities that are the service multipliers. First, men of dignity. And this means someone you would look up to and respect. Uh, the kind of person you would say, I, I want to I be like them. This same quality, the same word, is used in a list for women in 1 Timothy 3.11. And we'll talk about next week who are these women because they're mentioned in a section on servants. It's also used of older men in Titus 2.2. Plus, it's used in a list that's pertinent to all of us. This is from Philippians 4.8. It says, finally, brethren, whatever is honorable, and that's the same word, dwell on these things. In other words, all of us need to be something that you can actually see embodied in these servants. All of us are to be mentally engaged in, according to Philippians, becoming worthy of respect. But deacons need to be those that you would look up to as a model of that quality, where you would say, I look up to this guy. I want to be like this guy. He has a kind of life that I'm saying, I want to, I want to be like that. Have you ever witnessed someone who is an incredible servant in action? You know, I know some people like that, where I am in awe of what they do. I'm thinking of a particular uh, woman that Rochelle and I know and have known for some time, and she is amazing in what she does. I mean, her life is lived in a way where she is promoting the good of other people, it seems like, all the time. And regardless of the sacrifice, that's the kind of person that you want to serve as a deacon. This is the kind of person that you would say, I see what a servant is like, and I want to be like that person. I, I need to learn from them. Second quality is not double-tongued, which means this is a person who is honest, uh, sincere, and consistent in what he says. He's not a hypocrite. Here's how that becomes an effective, effectiveness multiplier for a servant. If someone is going to serve you, but you can't depend on what he says, <laughs> are you going to trust him? Uh, this is the kind of man who doesn't say one thing and do another or say one thing to one person and say something else to someone else. He's absolutely trustworthy. And so it's easy for you to say yes when he says, here's how I can serve you and here's how I can help you. Number three, he's not addicted to much wine. He's not in bondage to wine or, frankly, whatever dulls his alertness to what matters. He's not kind of checked out. His ability to make good judgments is not impaired. Uh, this is a multiplier because servants need their full faculties to get it right. And so if this guy's, you know, kind of foggy, you're not going to want to be served by him. 
But if he's thinking clearly and what you hear kind of cuts through all the haze, that's the kind of man you would say, I'm, I'm open to whatever he wants to do. Number four, he's not fond of sordid gain. He's a man of integrity as it concerns financial matters. Now, this quality is identical term or terms as were used of an elder. In other words, this quality needs to be one that you can say is true of your elders, of your pastors, and of your deacons. They are not fond of sordid gain. They're men of integrity as it concerns financial matters. This one addresses the Judas trap. I mean, imagine this. I've tried to understand Judas. Here is a man who followed Jesus. But, and we got a clue on something that wasn't apparent to the other disciples until later, but after his betrayal of Jesus, it became known that he was actually pilfering from the bank account. He was taking money, which betrayed who he was. He was not serving out of love for Jesus. He was serving because of what he could get out of it by pilfering from the treasury. True service is not self-service. When I'm serving someone, it doesn't matter what the cost or implications are to me. And so when we talk about not fond of sordid gain, he's not doing it because of the ways that would give him opportunity to help himself. And by the way, expanded in a more general way, that can include not doing that because it gives him a reputation or an advantage the man who is qualified as a deacon is not serving in the name of self-service. He's serving because of Savior service. I'm doing this because of Jesus. It says, number five, holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. This one, there's several phrases here that we have to unpack. Holding to means he's tenacious and genuine in his devotion. To the mystery of the faith, the mystery refers to the deep things. This would be the things that the Word of God says that our culture disagrees with. The things that are hard to say because people don't like to hear them. He's tenacious and genuine in his devotion to the profound truths of the faith as revealed by Jesus and his word. If someone is not devoted to God's truth and they're going to serve you, it'll be very easy for them to say, you know, I just think you need to and whatever, fill in the blank. And then you come back later and you say, hey, I did what you told me. <laughs> Here's what happened. Oops. There is no oops if we are devoted to the hard things that the scripture says, the deep things, the things that cut through the fog. And that's the kind of men we need as servants. They use what God says as their internal compass. God's word 
is where I go to try and figure out how to resolve this problem and how I can give true service. Number six, they are beyond reproach. This is a repeat of one of the qualifications, one of the 26 for the elders. This is the kind of guy who everybody, no matter who you talk to, speaks well of him through the lens of what Scripture commends. Everybody gives him a good report. And you can see why this is a, a service multiplier, why it's easy to look to someone for service who has this quality. When you go to see a doctor for something, you ask around, hey, who do you know? Who do you trust? Because a doctor is going to tell you things that you have to trust. He's trying to serve your best interests. But if you don't trust him, yeah, my doctor said I need to do this, but I just, I just don't know. And you go do the opposite. It's not going to work out well. Deacons need to be those who you trust because you can say, when he tells me something, in fact, something that is challenging or wants to do something for me that is difficult, I'm going to trust him. It says, as it relates to this beyond reproach, there's a, some additional terminology. It says, these men must also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. As you want these kind of men who can be trusted. Now he says, these men must also first be tested. That's not talking about administering a, like a final exam or something like that, where you say, all right, here's your deacon exam. It's really describing a process in which you would apprentice someone and then raise up someone to where someone can say, the mentor can say, this guy is clearly the kind of guy that others will trust as he seeks to serve them. So invest in them. Help them make significant progress as apprentices. That's what this is describing, so that they become the kind of people that others trust as deacons. Then number seven, husband of only one wife. And again, this is a repeat, not exactly the same terminology, but this is a repeat conceptually of what is said pertinent to elders. He's a man of singular devotion to his wife. Uh, to, to observe such a man is to actually catch a glimpse of how Jesus loves the church. How is this a multiplier? Because the kind of husband who is this is the kind who serves well those entrusted to his care in the home. He's a great servant in the home, servant leader. You see how he functions in the home and you say, I want to be on the receiving end of that. And then number eight, he's a good manager, uh, good managers of their children and their own households. He attentively promotes the true good of his children and his household. Now, this is almost identical to one of the qualifications of an elder. But this really illustrates what it means to serve. You can look at his home, and you can say how he relates to his wife, how he relates to his children. Man, he is an amazing servant. Find a man with these eight qualities, and these are the kind of men who are exemplary servants that you can look to and say, I want to serve like that. Five of the eight deacon qualifications echo qualifications for an elder. 
Now, three of them are unique to that position, but basically, here's the core idea I want you to take away, and that is, for servants, character matters. It makes it easier to trust or to benefit from their service if they have these qualities. But there's an, another amazing pair of double benefits that are specified in the passage. It says, for those who have served well as deacons, and it's just the word servants, again, servants or ministers, for those who have served well as deacons, obtain for themselves, here they are, two things that are results. They obtain for themselves, one, a high standing, and two, great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. When someone serves well in the role of a deacon slash minister slash official servant, the benefit is high standing and great confidence. What's that about? <laughs> True service, service to Christ, is about promoting the true good of someone. In other words, if I'm going to serve you, I want to promote your true good. If you are going to serve someone, you want to promote their true good. You don't necessarily want to just do everything they want because sometimes what someone wants is not what would be good for them. So what that means is that sometimes to serve the true good of someone means telling them something that they don't want to hear or doing something for them that they don't want or in some cases not doing something for someone that they wish you would. That's costly service. Sometimes serving somebody else can be incredibly costly. You take it on the chin. You are criticized. You are slandered because you are seeking to promote the good of someone whom you love and whose good you want to promote. We do this because we want to serve Jesus. And it costs. And especially when promoting the good of somebody else comes at significant personal cost, that gives me a basis to be able to say, I look at my life and I think, I would never do that except for the fact that I love Jesus and want to serve him. That's the confidence factor. In fact, I look back and I say, I don't know that I'd be able to do that if it weren't for the fact that Jesus is my Savior. The extent to which servants in the name of service incur cost is something that bolsters their confidence. That's something that is real. This is the great confidence factor in that verse. And then, so at costly service actually bolsters our assurance in Christ. When I do something, when you do something for someone else that is costly, that actually gives us greater confidence in Christ. Service also, this is the second factor, constitutes great, true greatness in the eyes of Jesus. 
Now, I realize not so much in the eyes of the world. You know, the celebrity is probably not celebrated because he's a great servant. Now, I did see that Arnold Schwarzenegger, they had a couple pictures of him. He was filling potholes in the neighborhood near his house. But that's not what he's famous for. <laughs> in fact, we find the contrast kind of interesting. In the world's eyes, greatness and service are opposites. The world's about power and position. You know, being an influencer. But Jesus is working from a completely different paradigm. I read this earlier, but I want to read it again. Jesus called them to himself and he said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great men exercise authority over them. In other words, the world's paradigm is greatness is defined by how many I tell what to do. It is not this way among you. Whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. Diakonos. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave, just as the Son of Man... Whoa, get this. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. You know who was the greatest deacon of all time? Jesus. I, I struggle to understand this passage because it is so amazing. He decided as he looked at us, I want to promote their true good. At what price? I will be the ransom for everybody in this room, me included. Jesus says, you want to know what greatness looks like? Watch me walk to the cross in your stead. That is what greatness looks like. Jesus is working from a completely different playbook than the world. Notice he does not say service is the prelude to greatness, but that service is greatness. So by devoting yourself to the promotion of the true good of others, that is high standing. Because Jesus says... Do you see that? That is greatness. Cup of water in my name, that is greatness. Have you ever heard someone say, oh, he has the gift of service? And I get it. I mentioned I know someone who is amazing as a servant. But there is no, quote, gift of service in the Bible. You know, if you were to look, make a list of spiritual gifts... What are all the spiritual gifts? There's not one in there that is the gift of service. There is helps, which is kind of close. The reason is that we're all called to serve. But the way we serve may be different. Listen to this passage, Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. And he gave some as apostles 
some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of, get this, service, diakonia, to the building up of the body of Christ. God has given certain individuals to the church that includes apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors or shepherds and teachers. Their job is to equip who? The saints, which is all of us. To do what? Service. Now, but notice he says, by the way, the work of service. In other words, it's not going to be easy. It's something we have to work at. But spiritual leaders' job, they serve Jesus by serving you well so that you can serve well and embrace the work. All the saints do the work of service. To recognize certain individuals who have certain service multipliers, we need to do that. But in part, it's because they're a model of what we all need to be. All of us need to be servants, like Jesus. It's been a while, but there was an article on Reader's Digest a while back called, What Good is a Tree? And uh, we have tons of trees out where we live, so I, I like trees. Trees do something very interesting. When the roots of one tree touch the root of another tree, uh, a fungus forms. And it actually creates some kind of bond between those two roots such that they actually share things between them. So, for example, here's a tree that has access to sunlight. Here's a tree that has access to great nutrients. Here's another tree that has access to water. And because of their linked roots, they actually share the benefit of the sunlight, the water, and the nutrients among them. The benefit through their linked roots is shared. This is our calling. We have been saved to serve. We link roots and we serve one another. Our lives, our calling, is to be people who are asking the question as it pertains to all those around us, how can I promote their true good regardless of the cost? That's why we're here. We are designed to be a forest <laughs> in which the people around us, their true good is promoted The world is into self-service. That's not what we're about. When we come to the cross and acknowledge that Jesus served us by being our ransom, then we become servants of others, and that is our calling. Now, this is going to require word-driven discernment. We need to promote the true good of one another. And that's why we need the word to help us understand what that looks like. But God has already placed around you those whom he wants you to serve, meaning to promote their true good. Some of them are in your family because you need to go deep. <laughs> and sometimes that's challenging. You know, I've talked with several people talking about uh, the, the three C's and Taylor reminded me now it's become the four C's, which is Cars, collisions, college, and cell phones. 
We need to figure out how to serve the best interest of our kids. A spouse, siblings, extended family, co-workers, friends. Your mission, my mission. How can I best promote the true good of the people God has placed around me? That's what I'm here for. Now let me tell you something. This takes my breath away. Not this next sentence I'm going to tell you, but the verse that backs it up. You do that. It will be worth it. For God is not unjust. This is Hebrews 6.10. For God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward his name in having ministered, there's our word, and in still ministering to the saints. I don't care how small it is. When you promote the true good of someone else, God sees that, and he is not going to forget that. To the degree that you did it for the least of these, you did it to me. This is who we are. Don't waste your life in self-service. Be servants. And in that, be great. Let's pray. Father, there are so many ways in which among this people there is a spirit of service. It's so encouraging. But we don't want to be content to just stay where we are. So we're asking you to show us, every person in this room, one way we can take our service one step further, one step higher. Father, I pray that we would also be a people who consider and are in awe of your Son, whose greatness is defined by the fact that he walked to Calvary. And there he was put on a cross. He didn't use the words, but the example shouts it. I am doing this for you to promote your true good. And I pray that we would be in awe of that. And that awe would fuel us to be like Jesus, who served the people around us, who are trying to find the ways, and through your word and through your spirit, gaining insight into ways that we can promote the true good of the people you've placed around us. That is what we long for, to become a people of whom you would say, I have not forgotten and I am not unjust to forget the ways in which you have ministered and are still ministering. Make us truly a body of servants like your son. In Jesus' name, amen.